Hey, good morning. Is there anybody in the house today who God has been better to than they deserve? Anybody could just give God a little bit of praise. That was all over me when we were singing all my life. Man, I, I, I opened my prayer time with a scripture in Psalm chapter 18, verse 1. It says, I love you, Lord, my strength. And every time I go to quote that scripture, I start singing this song that we were singing just a minute ago. And I'm reminded of God's goodness. You know, it's easier to see in retrospect or to look back and see God's goodness than it is in the moment when you need to see God's goodness. It's hard to see when you need to see, but you can always look back and remember. We're going to look and remember a couple of things today, but at the same time this morning, as we are in this series, uh, we're going to conclude this series today and then segue next week into the next series Today, I want to share a message called, I just had to share. I just have to share. Now, in light of next week being on our calendar, Pentecost Sunday, just like every year, we preach a message on Resurrection Sunday about the resurrection of our Savior. Next week, I'm going to preach a message about Pentecost on Pentecost Sunday. Now listen, some of you just decided you weren't coming next week. You thought, you know what, I'll just watch that one online because I am not comfortable with that word. Well, let me just tell you what, real quick, some of you have heard me say this. Um, all that word is, is a Greek word, pentecostos, Penta means five. Kostos means to like the tenth power. You put them together and, and hold your seat very tightly while I blow you away with this frightening word. It means 50. <laughs> Listen, we don't get to take something in scripture that is very biblical and turn it into something that seems so spiritual that it's only for a select group of very elite individuals. That's, that's not a biblical practice. And let's, I, I mean this with the utmost respect, okay? But it is, it is my interpretation of Scripture um, that, that a denomination does not get to take a biblical word and make it denominational, whether that's a charismatic movement or a Pentecostal movement or a Protestant movement or a Catholic movement, you don't take a biblical word and make it denominational. It's not yours to make denominational. So although people are weird, the Holy Spirit isn't. And we should not be afraid of the third person of the Godhead. It's he is the more that Jesus spent the next 40 days talking about. He is the more that Jesus spent John 14, 15, and 16 in what most scholars believe to be the Last Supper, the room of the Last Supper. The Holy Spirit is who Jesus spent his Last Supper talking about. We should not be afraid because of what people have made out of Pentecost. It's just the 50th day after Passover. But something significant happened on that day. 
Someone very pivotal came into the picture on that day. Next week, we're going to look into it. This week, I just have to share. I thought I would open with a personal story today. Um, I did pass on another trait to my children. Apparently, in my late 20s, I became afraid of needles. That's, why are you snickering? That's not... I'm, I know, I'm grown. I grow this beard so you won't see how childlike I look without this beard. I'm a grown man, and it's okay for grown men to be afraid of needles. I just helped somebody today. I just released you to actually admit that you don't like needles, and you're not going to the doctor, not because you're tough and you're able to take care of yourself. You're a scared little kid. You are afraid of needles. That's why you're not going. When I was five years old, I can prove I wasn't afraid of needles growing up. When I was five years old, I had meningitis. It wasn't the, the, the kind that most people don't recover from. I don't know the designated difference between the two. Um, but I had a form, and they had to test me. And, and when you have meningitis, uh, they have to do what's called a spinal tap. Um, if you've never had that experience, why don't you schedule an appointment this week and then just go and, and just tell them, hey, I just wanted to experience a spinal tap. And they'll, I'm sure they'll bless you. They'll take care of you. But I was scared to death of what I didn't know. There was this blanket over the top of this tray, and they had me laid down on my stomach. And my dad and my mom and my stepdad, I'm sure everybody was there, and they were trying to calm me down. I don't know if you've tried to calm down a scared five-year-old recently, but I have. Another experience that you should take someone up on here real soon, just so you can remember what a pleasant joy that that is. And I was laying down on my stomach, and I really just wanted to know what was underneath the blanket. I just wanted to know what they were doing there. That's all I wanted to know. And then they showed me that, and there was this giant needle. I immediately wished that I did not know what was under the blanket. Um, but I actually remember that being the point where I calmed down, where I was all of a sudden okay. So I wasn't afraid of needles. Fast forward, I'm 27. I went to the doctor. I asked for a Celestone shot. A Celestone is a steroid, not anabolic. You can't, don't try to get it for that reason. You're missing the point. Um, but I did remember that I'd had a cortisone shot in college, and everything that was hurting went away in an instant. Like, I, was, I had an all-star weekend. You didn't want to try to run on me. I hit every ball. Everything was great. It was the best weekend of my life. I'd had a cortisone shot. So I went to the doctor. I said, can I have a Celestone shot? And he, he complied. He, he basically gave in. So he sent his nurse in, and she hit me with a shot. I think she was mad. At him, me, somebody, I don't know, maybe I look like somebody that she remembered or knew. She stuck me with that shot, and it wasn't like a, like a warm-up or like, okay, it's going to be a little poke. No, no, no. It was like, Poof. I was like, God, oh, my goodness. And so I just kind of was like, whoo, man, I don't remember that feeling like that. So I got ready, and I, and I started walking down the hallway, and I'm going down the hallway. And I was like, man, I think I should have just stayed sick. And, like, my, my hip started throbbing, and I thought there was something. I was like, man, this hurts. I don't remember this hurting like this. I got to the, to, to the desk, and I, I looked at the lady that was behind the checkout counter. Apparently, there was another lady behind me, um, and I said, man, I, I don't, man, that, I think I'm going to pass. And that's all I remember. And I fell, apparently backwards, because my face was still fine, which, thank God, right? Because <laughs> why are y'all laughing at this? Uh, so I fell backwards, and, and there was a lady behind me. Apparently, she was pretty stout. 
Okay, because she caught me and then laid me. Either that or I flattened her. I don't know. I wasn't there. So I don't really know what happened. I just woke up and I was surrounded by all of these people. It was like a hospital scene with the lights flashing down in your eyes. And all these people were around me. And I looked up and my first thought was, what happened? Okay, it was only in retrospect that I actually thought, why were there only women there at this hospital? Like, where was my doctor? Where was the one that agreed to give me a shot? By the way, if you're a doctor, you're not supposed to let people talk you into giving them stuff. That is not how that's supposed to work. But he did, and he wasn't there. It was only in retrospect that I even recalled who wasn't there. All I cared about in that moment was who was there. Okay, I want to say this. You might want to write this down. Moving forward is not necessarily always moving on. Let me give you a a simple example. Um, There are some things that happened in my past that I need to move on from. Some things I did, some places I went, some people I knew, some people I knew in ways I shouldn't have known. There are some things I need to, simple example, in order for me to move forward with my wife, I don't need to spend my time thinking about the people that may could have been my wife. In order to move forward in my job, I don't need to be thinking about all the other opportunities that I passed up to be where I am today. In order to move forward with her, I need to move on from them. Let me say it this way. In order for me to move forward in my relationship with Jesus, I need to stop remembering my past because he stopped doing it when I asked for forgiveness. In order to move forward, there are some things I need to move on from, but then at the same time, there are some things I just need to move forward with. And those things are actually evidence of who God is despite who I was. For instance, don't feel bad for me, okay? We got our eyes on eternity And there's several people that have been through worse or the same as this. But I will never move on from my children not knowing my father, my biological father. That's not something I'm going to move on from. That's something I'm going to move forward with. And what a resurrection day. What a powerful moment it will be when we cross from this place into the next into the arms of Jesus. But I can tell you this, if my daddy's standing there and my nana's standing there and Jesus is standing behind them, they better get out of the way because I ain't going to heaven looking for them. I'm looking for him. I can move forward without moving on. I'll tell you another thing I may never move on from. When I was a senior in high school, I graduated. I should have had a child between my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college. Some of you know that story. I won't go into the whole thing. I should have. I should have an 18-year-old son right now. I should. I don't. I will never move on from that. I will move forward in Christ. You can move forward without moving on. That's good news for some of you because you think you're trying to get over. No, 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 no. God's just trying to get you That's all, to go forward. That's all he wants. So number one, if you're taking notes today, as we get into this story about the world's first evangelist, number one, John chapter 20, I want to invite you, make this personal. Make your relationship with Jesus personal. 
Make your encounter with God personal. Make your service experience, whether you're watching from home online or you're right here in this worship center with other people who are supposed to be social distance. And it's whatever it is for you. Um, make it personal. The person in this story made her relationship with Jesus personal. Let's read about her. John chapter 20, verse 1. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Remember that. It was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away. Now, she knew that there was a stone there because she was there when it was put. When it was placed, she was there. She watched the stone be put in place. And so when she came and the stone that she had seen be put in place was taken away, she knew that something was up, which is, by the way, a testimony of what God does. Whenever somebody looks at you, this is good preaching. You just need to hang in there with me for just a second. Whenever God does something in you and the people that knew you, they were there the last time they saw you. They saw you doing something specific. They saw you behaving a certain way or living a certain way. And now all of a sudden, what was is now no more. The stone that had sealed you in the past has now been opened for your present. It is a testimony of not what you've been able to do, but what God's been able to do through you. She looked and saw something was different about what she had formerly thought she knew. Okay, so moving forward. Mary Magdalene. Magdalene was not her name. Magdalene was where she was from. Magdala was a place on the western part of the Sea of Galilee. Here's what Magdala was known for. Magdala was known for its promiscuity and for its prostitution. This lady was known not for who she was, but for where she was from. And John described her as Mary Magdalene. Why was her relationship with Jesus so important to her? Why was her relationship with Jesus so personal to her? Well, because she was a product of a personal relationship with Jesus. She was a product of his ministry. It was personal for her because she saw what Jesus produced. Not what she produced, but what he produced. Let me show you where she came from. Luke chapter 8, quickly. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, verse 1. Soon afterward... Jesus, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, proclaiming with his mouth and bringing not one or, but both and proclaiming with his words and bringing living out his words. So he said it and he showed it. The kingdom of God and the 12 were with him. Verse two, and also some women. And, and Luke writes this as if it was like in passing. He was so used to it. That he just, he just wrote it. It had lost its impact. Also, there were some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Uh, one of them was Mary called Magdalene. And I want you to notice that Jesus didn't call her that. Luke called her that. Jesus didn't call her that. John called her that. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out of. Now listen, I don't know what your situation is today. Okay. Um, but unless you begin to manifest right now in Jesus' name. Oh, praise God. Oh, man, I'm always, like if somebody starts doing that, I'm like, like, we got a plan for it, and it's a real biblical thing. I'm sure it could happen today. But nobody, nobody, I want you to notice, nobody in here began to demonically manifest whenever I said that. 
And so that means that everybody in here, now unless you just started doing that online, everybody watching right now is in a better condition than Mary of Magdala was whenever she met Jesus. That means there's still hope for you too. Come on, it's, it is okay. Where you've been does not define where you're going. Jesus delivered her of seven demons. It was personal for her. Now, this next part amuses me, and I, start, I probably should take it out for time's sake, but it's too entertaining for me not to share with you. Verse 2, the Bible says, Mary Magdala, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. I shared this with you last week, but some of you may have heard it. Some of you maybe forgot it. People ask me all the time, hey, who's your favorite Bible character? And, uh, and I don't really have a favorite Bible character. I like a lot of them. You know, I'm, I'm like, Jesus, he's my favorite. Like, yeah, okay. But, but I, I do have someone that I relate to the most. And, and it's John. And here's why. He makes sure that people know that Jesus loved him more than any other disciple. He wants people to understand. Simon Peter and the other disciple, you know, the one who Jesus loved. I know that Jesus is not a respecter of persons. He just happens to love me more than he loves you. That was John's perspective of reality. He said to them, she said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have laid him. Verse three. So Peter went out with the other disciple. They were going toward the tomb. Watch this. Verse four. This is where I really relate to John. He was obviously a competitive communicator. Okay, which is not necessarily a bad thing, no matter how bad it makes you feel. Verse five, 4, both of them were running together, but the other disciple, you know, the one that Jesus loved, he outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He won. Second place, first place loser. Just want to make sure that everybody understands, 2,000 years later, I outran Peter to the tomb. All right, so very much as we continue reading because you're not really laughing. Verse 6, Simon Peter came <clears throat> Simon Peter came following him. And he went into the tomb. Now, I want you to notice that that John, they both got there. John beat Peter. And John looked in. But like John, we don't go into dark places for no apparent reason. Like that's not that's just something we do. We just don't do that. I don't crawl into a wet cave. For no, I can look in, look, I see what I need to see, and now I'm good, I'm okay. Peter gets there, he looks, and this is why I think, man, Peter may have been a little bit Cajun, like there's some Cajun descent in there somewhere. He gets there, he's like, let's go in. He's in the cave. What are you doing? I'm not putting my hand in that hole. You put your hand in the hole. Something bites you, I'll help you. Something bites you, I'll say, I shouldn't, you shouldn't have done that. Peter goes straight in. And he looks, and then the Bible says that he, he begins looking around, and he saw linen cloths laying there, but he did not. That was John. Verse 6, Simon Peter came following, and he went into the tomb, and he saw the cloths laying there too. Verse 7, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not laying with the linen cloths, separate, but folded up in a place by itself. This is a specific detail that John wants us to understand. This was not the work of thieves, okay? I want you to, if, if you've ever thought about like a thief coming into your home, I, I would just encourage, I wish that there was like a gang or a posse full of thieves 
that they would come and they would break into our homes and then they would just fold all our laundry. <laughs> come on, anybody? None of the... Why, men, why put your hand down? You're not doing your... Well, some of you do your own laundry, but most of your shirts look like mine do without the steamer. Come on, we don't iron, we steam. That's a good thing. It's okay. This, this was the work, not of a thief. Okay, thieves don't come in and fold your stuff. Okay, that's not what they do. They come in and take your stuff. Like, if they would have shown up and everything was gone, it's like, ah, it's a thief. Peter saw that it was folded. One of our elders told me this between services. Uh, he had heard a pastor say at one time, I, I haven't confirmed this, but it, it, it's a thought that, that you fold your napkin culturally to let people know, hey, you may not see me here right now, but I'm going to be right back. I'll be right back. I'm folding this up. This was on my face. I laid it to the side. It's, it's done. It's sealed. I did this on purpose. Nobody did this to me. I did this for myself, and I will be right back. It was all folded up. Verse 8, the other disciple, you know, the one who loved Jesus but wouldn't go in the tomb and outran Peter there, reached the tomb, also went in, and he saw and believed. Verse 9, what did he see and believe? Yet... They did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. So if he believed, but didn't understand, there's a couple of things here. What did he believe? Did he believe that Jesus had risen from the dead? Or did he believe and not fully understand that Jesus had risen from the dead? Or were they still not even thinking Jesus has been resurrected? Maybe he just believed what Mary had said. Whatever it is, is he is recounting this as part of his story and yet confessing at the same time. It's a moment of humility for somebody that liked to brag. He is confessing that something had happened and something was sparked in him. And he believed even though he didn't understand. In other words, you don't have to understand in order to believe. Faith is not something that you inherit. Faith can be something you discover. And verse 10, to conclude this, the Bible says the disciples went back to their homes. Number two this morning. Number one, make it personal. Number two, don't leave too soon. Don't leave too soon. See, these disciples, Simon, Peter, and John, they were so impacted by their experience that they did nothing about it except for return to their house. Now, before we judge them too harshly, how many times have we come and had a powerful encounter in the presence of God? How many times have we given our lives to Jesus, experienced his presence, experienced his power, given in worshiping God with our giving on the way out, walked out of, got in the car, and just gone home and completely forgotten about everything that we just heard and saw and believed? We go home and we immediately begin to fret about the next day instead of finding God's purpose for the next day. We go to the restaurant and we get frustrated over what is or is not being refilled or replenished on our table. And we treat the waiter or the waitress as someone who is there to serve us instead of someone who is there to be served by us. How many times have we been forgiven 
in God's presence and then gone right back out and not treated our family with the same forgiveness that we supposedly just, we just go back home. Well, I'm glad I went to church this week. Sure, I'm glad I got to physically gather again. I've been waiting for that. I've been starving to death. Just go back home. But Mary did something different. Because her relationship with Jesus was personal. Look in verse 11. But Mary, she stayed. She stood right there and she wept outside of the tomb. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Now, remember, Matthew's account had her waiting outside the tomb when the stone was rolled forward. She saw Jesus' body be placed in that tomb. In fact, Mary of Magdala was one of the few people that actually followed Jesus all the way into the courtyard, all the way down the Via Della Rosa, all the way up the hill of Golgotha. At the foot of the cross, she was one of the few people who were actually still there when the last blood drop of blood fell out of his body. She followed that body from that cross into the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and refused to go home until the stone was sealed. Now, she went home because she understood that she was supposed to honor the Sabbath. She understood that there was a 24-hour period in which she was supposed to enjoy rest, practice delight, and contemplate God. She understood that the Sabbath belonged to God no matter what her situation looked like. I'm not saying God did this. I'm just saying, if America continues to ignore one of the Ten Commandments in honoring God on the Sabbath. This will not be the last time that the Sabbath is taken away. This will not be the last time that God says, you know what? You don't want to honor me on purpose. I'll make you stay home and find purpose. This won't be the last. I'm not saying that that's what God did this time. I'm just saying, you mark my word that if we continue as a nation, as a people, as sons and daughters of God to work through seven days a week and ignore the 24-hour period that God set aside in the book of Genesis and commanded to the promise of Moses and Jesus confirmed in Matthew through John, it won't be the last time since we didn't give it to him that he takes it away. There will come a day. I'm not saying that that just happened. I'm saying we have an opportunity to make sure that that's not what happens. I just have to share. I want to fast forward in the story. Mary looks in the tomb, and the Bible says that she sees two angels. Now, I don't want to get into the theological dispensation this morning of whether angels are men or women or both or how that whole thing works. But I'm just going to go out. I just see these angels as two dudes. Okay, because when Mary looked into that tomb, these two angels asked her why she was crying. And every woman in this room knows that when you see another woman crying, you don't ask her why she is crying. Only men ask. Only men are dumb enough to ask a woman who is crying, what is wrong? Why are you crying? And it's not a mistake that we just make one time. It is a stupid exercise that we repetitively do. We say it before it even, we even consider it. We say, what's wrong with you? Ah, take it back. Get back in. It's too late. She already heard it. We're going to learn the lesson one day. These guys, angels... 
asked her, why are you weeping? And she begins to explain, because they've taken the body of my Lord. I don't know where he is. What have they done with him? And then the Bible says that she turns and she sees Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. Why? Because you don't recognize faith by sight. She looks right at her Savior. The Bible says she doesn't recognize. She thought that he was a gardener. Now, I love what we could do right here in the fact that Jesus could be a gardener. And when he comes back to his garden, what's he going to find? What kind of fruit is he going to find? What kind of production is he going to find? What kind of example is he going to find? But we're not going there today. She thought he was a gardener. And there's several explanations of why she may have thought that he was a gardener. One of them was that she was crying and she couldn't see through her tears. Another one is that possibly it was still too dark. Remember, because she showed up at the tomb before daylight. Before the sun had come up fully. So maybe she didn't see. A final explanation. This is probably where I land. And again, there's no concrete evidence here. So just understand that this is me seeking the Holy Spirit and looking for things to learn. Because it's always okay to look for things to learn through Scripture. It's not okay to use Scripture to justify something you hadn't learned. <laughs> but it's okay to look for something to learn. It is possible that in this moment... She could not see through the eyes of her own expectation. In other words, what she expected to see was not what she saw. So her expectation was clouding her revelation. Her perspective was clouding his purpose. If my perspective, like I expected, I, I had a perspective of God. I had a perspective of the Holy Spirit. I had an expectation of God whenever I prayed. I had an expectation of God whenever I gave. I had an expectation of God whenever I showed up or whenever I stayed. Her expectation, her perspective clouded his purpose. John emphasizes right here that she did not recognize her Savior based on sight. Because faith is being certain of what you hope for. Sure of what you hope for, certain of what you do not see. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. So what caused her to recognize her Savior? Well, let's look. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, I, I need you to notice that the recognition of his revelation was not based on what she saw, but based on what he said. The recognition of your revelation is not going to be based on what you see, but it's going to be based on what he <laughs> See, you're still focused on where you've been and what you've done and how many mistakes you've made. You're still trying to earn God's favor and earn God's salvation. You're still trying to work the right way, do the right thing, say the right thing, behave in the right manner in front of the right people. God doesn't recognize where you've been or where you're from. I want you to notice that Jesus didn't say anything about Magdala because he wasn't referencing what he's already forgiven. He just called her by the 
the name that he knew her by. He decided not to remember where she came from or what she did in the past. He just decided to speak to the person that he knew that had come to him and had a personal relationship with him. Her name was not Mary of Magdala to her Savior. Her name was simply Mary, redeemed, made righteous. Mary, he says, and she turned and said to him, Rabboni, she stayed long enough to recognize his voice. You know why people fall off the wagon, drift back into their former lifestyle and end up worse than they were before they ever received salvation to begin with? They don't stay. I'm not talking about staying in a service. They don't stay in his presence. We're investing our resources and our facilities into high school, junior high, middle school, elementary age, even pre-K. And as we begin to gear up for a summer trimester of small groups, we're going to open up our toddler and infant room so that you can bring your children here. And then you can take time after you watched at 6 or maybe you go watch afterwards a pre-recorded Bible study that's only about 20 to 30 minutes long. It just depends on how long Pastor John plays that song. It has nothing to do with how long I talk. But it's a 20 to 30 minute Bible study that is meant and intended for you to grow individually or in small groups. And by the way, if you ever decide to host or lead a small group, please don't ever get offended or, or discouraged because only one person shows up for your small group. Congratulations, you now have a one-on-one -on -one opportunity to disciple somebody else along in your journey. You are more like Jesus than you have ever been before. That's what happens. Now, when I said that in first service, I almost stopped and received an offering for myself because when I was just about 10 years ago, just a little less than 10 years ago, if the church would have offered an opportunity to keep my kids on a Wednesday night so I could go have a date with my wife, I'd have jumped on that and helped finance it. I'd have done whatever. We're giving you the opportunity to grow individually and alone. And there's, here's the opportunity that we're giving you is to set a time, put in your schedule a moment to sit with Jesus and stay. Let me give you one word that will fix all of your anxiety. It will replace your problems with peace. Even though you don't get through your problems. See, peace is not determined by you getting through the storm, getting over to the other side, and looking back and finally having peace. That's not what peace is. Peace is being in his presence and finding the peace in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the valley, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the fire. Everybody wants to get out of the fire, but it is the fire that God uses to refine and purify and give his people purpose beyond their problem and beyond their current circumstance. Peace cannot just be found on the other side. God is omnipresent. Peace can be found wherever you find Him. <laughs> but you got to stay. 28 seasons in the book of Ecclesiastes. Not one of them is a time to leave. Not one of them is a time to quit. Not one of them is a time to give up. Not one of them is a time to find somebody else. 
Not one of them is a time to find another job. I'm not saying that God won't release you to do those things. I'm just telling you that God has anointed you in this moment until he tells you to do something else. He has anointed you to stay because anybody can leave. Mary stayed long enough until she recognized his voice. It is important to understand that Mary was not seeking a position, but she was seeking to serve God's purpose. Everybody wants to be promoted. Everybody wants to have a plan. Everybody wants to be pushed up on a platform and glorified and personal and, and, and self-glory. But, but God just wants us to serve his purpose. And when we serve his purpose, then he can. Number three. Share your story. Now, the beginning of this video doesn't really match the mood in the room, but this is a, a testimony. It's quick. It's less than two minutes. It's a testimony of Penn Gillette, who is an incredible mu magician, not musician, but magician, um, and also a renowned atheist. Remember, the point is share your story. Watch this video, and we'll wrap this up. Told you it didn't match. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we uh, we talk to folks and you know sign an occasional autograph. And, and there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position, and um, he had been the um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show, and he walked over to me and he said. Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. And he was very complimentary, and then he said, "I brought this for you," and he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition, just part of the New Testament, little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, "I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this." And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. It was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me, and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell, or not getting eternal life, or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. So you don't have to try to go there, but in verse 17, Jesus instructed Mary that she needed to not just see and believe. He actually just told her, hey, I need you to go. 
He didn't say go back home and just live your life as usual. He said, I need you to go and I need you to share. I need you to tell everybody else what you've seen. And this thing in Revelation that I'm going to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So in verse 18, but remember I told you to share your story. Verse 18 we see that Mary didn't like stand there and argue a little bit longer. Again, John is confused. He still remembers where she's from. Jesus just remembered who she is in him. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples. She, she didn't have to pray about it. She wasn't like standing in line and, and felt like something weird. And, and then was like, oh, this isn't God. This is the devil that wants me to share my testimony. It is Lucifer that wants me to open my mouth and talk to somebody about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Get thee behind me, Satan. I am not making a fool of myself and embarrassing God right now. She didn't do any of that. The Bible just says she went. She went and she told everybody, I've seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Jesus was not focused on who wasn't there. He was just looking at the person that was. So real quick, and we can give you these. These are on, in the notes online as well. I'm asking you to share your story. I'm being very intentional about that verbiage and that language because for me to ask you to share the gospel or to, to be a witness is a little bit intimidating. But for me to ask you to just have gospel conversations, to talk to people about God, and to share your story, that shouldn't be as intimidating. Because people can argue with your scripture and you may not know how to argue back, but people can't argue with your story if you will just tell what God has done up to this point in your life. That means that you don't have to have a Bible college degree to be an evangelist. You just have to be available. He doesn't need you to be anointed. It's his anointing. He can give it to anybody he wants to, take it away from anybody that he wants to. He's God. He does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. And we learn to be okay with that. He doesn't need somebody to be ordained. He just needs them to stay long enough to hear his voice so that he can tell them to go. And they will know that when he says go, it was him. And they automatically respond and do what he says just to share their story. So I want you to have the spiritual confidence enough to have the conversation. I, I want that for you. Like, I want you to have spent enough time alone with Jesus or in small groups or learning scripture or doing what you need to do that you truly become. I am not afraid. I will have a spiritual conversation with anybody in the world. But 15 years ago, that was not true. If you write 104 sermons a year for the next 15 years, you will grow in spiritual confidence. It's crazy it will happen for you. But if you don't, do you just spend the rest of your life being disobedient to the great commission, the final command of Jesus? No, you obey anyways. Because if you only share when you were spiritually confident enough, then now you have found confidence in yourself and not in him. That's salvation by works. And if Jesus wanted to save us by our works, then he could have just stayed seated in heaven. But he knew that our works would always fall short and that the best of our works were like filthy rags before his perfectly holy heavenly father. So he came and paid the price that we could never afford so that we would accomplish what only he could do. So I want you to have confidence to have the conversation. But if you don't, then you need to obey anyways. Just obey anyways. And finally, you can't speak one way and live another way and people still believe. 
In other words, you can't say one thing, show another thing, and expect people to believe what you said and ignore what you show. That's false advertisement. You could be sued. There are biblical attorneys. There's Bible attorneys. Uh, and it, it's funny, except for the fact that in the last days, there's this judge. And his name is Alpha and Omega. His name is first and last, everlasting to everlasting. And he is holy and just and loving. So you can't live one way, say another thing. But at the same time, there's this old phrase, and I'm closing. Just hold on. Buckle up. We're almost done. Pastor Lydia's playing with your kids. They're fine. They don't want to go back home with you anyway. They're sick of you. And you're like, it's okay, preacher. Take as long as you want. <laughs> it's, we'll stay here as long as you let us. Uh, there's a, an, an old saying that, that you should share the gospel and when necessary, use words. In other words, they're saying what I'm saying, like you got to live, you got to show what you say, et cetera, et cetera. But it's kind of a stupid saying because it's unbiblical. Um, it's like saying you need to eat food and maybe a good hearty steak and when necessary, use a fork. I mean, you could just look like a fool, right? And by the way, very few people recognize the revelation of Jesus Christ based on what they saw. So people could watch your life and watch you live better, and they may just think that you joined the military. Maybe they think you became Mormon. Maybe they think you finally found a woman that got you like back on track. Come on, somebody. Because a lot of men have stopped being as stupid as they were when they found one woman, whether it was the right one or not. At least three to six months, right? I mean, it worked for a little while. Here's to things working for a little. Maybe they thought you went through a 12-step program. Listen to me. There is no process or program that can take you out of darkness and into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. It is a one-step miraculous wonder what God will begin to do in and through you. It can be discovered and found through sanctification in a process, but salvation is dependent upon you recognizing and receiving what Jesus has already paid for. And when that happens, people need to know that nobody gets credit for what God has done in and through you except for the Savior and the only way that they're going to know that is if you tell them your lifestyle is a supplement to what you say John I'm closing Revelation this is my third and final I'm closing Revelation chapter 12 notice in verse 10 John the one who didn't understand fully all of a sudden has stayed long enough by the way God had to exile him to an island by himself in order to show him this. He didn't find it in a church service. He didn't find it in a small group. He found it alone in exile with his Savior. See, God doesn't want you to be alone. He just wants you to take the time to be alone with him because that's what you were created for. And the Bible says that John heard he heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, it has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ for the accuser of the brothers and sisters has been thrown to the earth. Satan has lost his power. 
And the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Watch verse 11. And they have defeated him by living righteously and proving people wrong. They defeated him by tithing every single check, the first fruit of all finances. They defeated him by showing up early and staying late and serving everybody the coffee that they took away because of social distancing. They defeated him not by one act, not by one lifestyle choice. They defeated him by the blood of the lamb they understood the power in every last drop and they refused to keep it to themselves they were delivered by what they showed and by what they said the word of their testimony they can tell people I've been tested and tried and still found faithful. It's not because of where I was or who I've been, but because of who he is. We need to let our relationship with Jesus become so personal that we just have to share. I just have to. I can't keep my mouth shut about what God has done. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Every follower of Jesus in the room, I'm talking to you. Every follower of Jesus, every believer watching online right now, I want to challenge you to take your relationship with Jesus to a deeper place. Not further, not better. Deeper. Personal. Set an appointment right now in your mind of when you're going to spend time with Jesus next week. Set aside time in your schedule to get alone with your Savior. To get alone one-on-one with your spouse and study God's Word, discuss God's Word, pray together, grow together. To connect in a small group of people Make it personal. Let God teach you how to share your story. Speak with your mouth. Confess with your mouth. For every person in the room that is not confident, for every person watching online who is not confident of who they are in Christ, I want to invite you right now to accept his free gift of salvation. You're already forgiven. He just needs you to receive it. The price of your past has already been paid, but you have to present him with the check to sign it. You have to surrender. So right now, if you need to receive salvation for the first time or the first time in a long time, I want to invite you to just open your hands right where you are. Wherever you're listening from, open your hands right where you are. And to every follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to confess again. To help every single person that needs to say this out loud for their spirit to hear and for all of heaven. Come on, let's pray this prayer together. Jesus, forgive me 
when I left too soon, where I did it my way instead of yours. Forgive me where I've fallen short. It's sin. It separates me. I don't want to be separated. I want to be saved. Cleanse me. I believe you died on the cross. You were raised from the dead. You gave your life so I could live. I surrender. Take my life. Make it yours. Use me for whatever, whenever, with whomever. May I follow you with all of my heart as long as I live. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, somebody praise God. He's done. I mean, praise God for his word.